It's hooked back in for Hughes. It's there! And Manchester United have saved it in the last minute. And look at Mark Hughes, the bullying specialist. But he's never left it as late as that. Hughes onside. There's a chance for another one here. Maybe not now. Yes, there is! A fantastic goal by Hughes! Spreads his arms wide and probably makes the game safe for United. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. Whoop! I'm Helen Evans. Whoop! Let's bring you some energy. We've got loads of energy. Well, I just Already. thought, just thought you, I'd Sam. bring my own. How are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? In need of a haircut. All right, charming. Yeah, do you know what? This is nice. We're all together. We're, in a, we're, we're physically sharing space. Yeah. Yeah. Messi, you seem happy. Um, yeah, I'm just glad to be out. Can we start again? Yeah. <laughs> That's the beauty of this. We can go again. What did you like about the energy of that one? I don't know. It just felt like we weren't serious. Right, let's start again. Are we ever? No. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. Whoop! As always... Welcome to the Old Trafford Show. Something's <laughs> better than devil you know. Whoop! Let's not do that one again, Maisie. <laughs> Hello. Should we start again? Okay. Yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans. I'm David Wright. And I'm Sam Homewood. Nice, guys. A.K.A. Simon. Yeah. It's nice to be back together. I know. Actually, in person, we're not on Zoom. Mm-hmm. We can't have any internet issues. We are at the of dreams. Yeah, we're looking out of the pitch and it's lovely and sunny. And I am still upset that when we're here, we're not allowed to just kick a ball about. Well, you probably could. You just might not have a job afterwards. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm getting at. Can we get it's some ball? It's up to you, Sam. Weigh, <laughs> yeah. weigh it up which one you want to choose. I'd like a ball, some boots, stick tasker in goal. Let me go mad. I would like to start this conversation by personally thanking you for my delivery of Eventually. my drinks. you got the Diet Cokes. Eventually. Mm-hmm. Or other Diet Sugar drinks. 60 Diet Cokes mm-hmm. in the Helen's household today. So if you've been following the podcast in order, you will know that Maisie... Yeah. Very... Yeah. My car will be... I'll probably get some. another three or four miles of a gallon going home now. <laughs> or if you've ever <laughs> met them. Helen Evans and this is your first listen to the podcast, you know that she always has a can of Diet Coke. Mm, I don't actually have one at the moment, but... You have drunk on one bag. today, though. I've I seen have. you. There's one in my bag. Yeah, there we go. So thank you, Maisie, for that. It's a pleasure. Nice. Sam, how's your week been? Yeah, very pleasant. Do you know what? I've been really excited about this podcast. Me too. Because Mark Hughes is someone that I don't have any memories of as like a player, but I know he was at United. And then I think of him as that former City manager... And I wonder how he view all that and how he, he thinks that might affect his legacy. I wonder if Sparky will be on time because... Why? When I, well, when we used to train at the cliff, Sparky would be the last person in and he'd be the first person away. Hmm. Yes. Where were you in that pecking order? Uh, I'd probably get to the cliff maybe about 10 o'clock, half an hour to get changed and have a mm-hmm. coffee or tea. Was that quite a standard that was, time yeah, to get around? Yeah, but arrive. Sparky would fly in probably around 27, 28 minutes past... What time Incredibly did training start specific. Hmm? Training started at 11? 10.30. Oh, training actually started at yeah, 10.30? Sparky would run in, get changed, straight out, train. Wow. At 27 or 28 minutes past. Yeah, he'd leave it to the, the very last couple of minutes. Mm. See, that would just stress me out. I don't like mm. being that late for things. Well, it's not late, is it? But No, he's on time. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's very late on time. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully <laughs> he's on time today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your memories of him, Maisie? Playing against him playing and against, with him? Playing against him was a, it was a nightmare at times. 
Going back to those days, the olden days. Back in the day, you, yeah. back in the, the back day, Back as you Sam. two would say it. Back in black and white. Yes, it was uh, It was tough playing against him because he would just um, stamp, it, try and stamp his authority on you. It was a very physical, tough player to play against. Very, very tough. You could kick him all day long and he'd just keep coming back for more. But as a as a playing partner to play with him up front, brilliant. You could mm-hmm. you could uh, knock a ball into him and you know it'd stick. Mm-hmm. Great, great professional, unbelievable player, fantastic servant for the club as well, twice, mm-hmm. and um, really looking forward to it. I yeah, really, that's interesting, really isn't it? There's not many it. players that have that come and go, especially no. if he came and went under different managers as well. I wonder if he got brought back specifically because he'd already been at United. Possibly. I'm sure when we had this conversation with Pogba that we forgot about Mark Hughes actually when we had this conversation, or did we? I'm not sure we brought that up. We might have done. But looking forward to it, I am. Yeah. Somebody I've never met before. What about you, Sam? No, I've never met Mark Hughes. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah be good. Well, it's going to be like a tale of two. I don't know that phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be just like that. A tale of two stories, no, two half. cities, two... Tale of... What's the phrase? Game of two halves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tale of two halves. Tale of two... Is that a phrase? A tale of two cities two is a book. Two cities is a thing, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say because of his playing career and his managerial career, but I'd, I've lost it. <laughs> I've lost Moment's it. Gone. Hey, Moment's gone. Get it gone. Moment's gone. Get it back. We've got all the time. It is a game of two halves because he was here as a player and he came back as a manager. And there are two halves in a game of football. Great metaphor. Depends if there's extra time. Yeah, then there could be, well, not four halves because they're not evenly split, but certainly four different sections. Here's Mark Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Hughes, welcome to United Podcast. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, a little bit uh, bored, I have to say, but Mm -hmm. uh, just talking to Maisie at the end there about golf coming back on Monday, so we're looking forward to that. If he he could, this would be a golf podcast. (laughs) Him and me both, I think, (laughs) if we're honest. Have you two played golf before against each other? We've been in the same tournament, somewhere at the same time, but not played together. Mm -hmm. What's your handicap? Uh, mind well, it's all changed now, isn't it? It's yep. world handicap system. Mm. It's eight point nine, which equates to about eleven, I think. Yeah, what are you? five point nine. Sure, he, I'm sure he gives a different answer which every time he's yeah, asked. No, no, no. Now, now, you can, now you can actually go on the world handicap and find exactly. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So was it seven yours? It was, yeah, but yeah. it been docked. He's a lot better than that. So I've been told. He's just <laughs> trying to swindle people, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. uh, here's a question for you: What should we call you? Because I've discovered your name is Leslie. Yeah. And that's my name. But yeah. actually, Mark. And then, of course, everybody calls you Sparky. Yeah, well, well my full name's Leslie Mark. So, uh, Leslie Mark Hughes, clearly. But um, yeah, that's my, my dad's name. But uh, it was always the intention that I was going to be Mark. So, my mother tells me. But uh, for some reason, they thought Leslie Mark sounded better than Mark Leslie. So, that's, that's <laughs> the only reason behind it. Very, de- yeah. very debatable. Yeah. Yeah. So, where did Sparky come from? Oh, that was just from school. Just uh, just one day, myself and a couple of mates decided we were going to be in names of comics. So one of my mates was Beano. Somebody else <laughs> decided and declared he was going to be Dandy. I had a few choices, but I ended up Sparky Marky. So it wasn't because uh, I had any ambition to be an electrician. I suppose. <laughs> Have their names still stuck? No, no, not at all. <laughs> sure. well, the problem was I actually uh, kept it to myself and... So obviously in my, my local village, 
everybody knew me as as Sparky, unfortunately. But uh, as as I progressed playing football um, and I started coming to United Science School Boys here, it didn't follow me around. So no one, when I used to come to Manchester, nobody knew me as Sparky. It was just Taff or something like yeah. that, you know. But then all of a sudden, um, I played a representative game for for my area and. I played against Lancashire, and unfortunately, uh, I don't know if you remember Danny Keogh, who yeah, was yeah. years yeah. apprentice around that time. Well, he was playing against me, and he heard all, mm. all my teammates shouting, Sparky, Sparky, give us the ball. And so he said, well, why do they call you that? And I said, no, <laughs> you don't want to know. So that was it. So he brought it to Manchester. So it's followed me around ever since. So I'm not going to get rid of it any, any time soon. Man. Nice. Mm. So there you go. How's the last sort of year been for you? Have you picked up any new hobbies? Have you done anything differently? Have you used it as time to sort of reflect or has it just been a bit dull? Uh, no, I've actually enjoyed it. If, if you can, it's it's surreal. Everybody's had difficulties with it. I think you just had to make the best of the situation. Thankfully, we haven't been touched um, by illness or, or God forbid anything else. Um, so we're, we're lucky in that regard. So uh, I just... Uh, Took it as a time just to reflect and uh, enjoy time with my family. I've mm-hmm. discovered gardening from, from my <laughs> sense. Monty Don's a god in my view. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's required viewing in our house, Gardner's World and that everything. <laughs> so uh, so I've just done that. And well, last year I moved house for the first time in 25 years. And uh, there's a lot of stuff you collect after 25 mm-hmm. years. So that, that took about a year to shift all them boxes. So... Uh, Lots so, of memorabilia in that. Yeah, there's plenty stuff. more more than uh, I pl- probably imagined, and uh, they're all still in boxes in in the garage. So uh, mm-hmm. there were actually some of them were on display in the old house, but I'm going anywhere to put them in the new one. So uh, probably for the best, my time's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about growing up in your childhood what was what was your life like as a as a child did you have brothers and sisters did you live in a local village what was life like yeah I lived in a, a little village just outside Wrexham a place called Ruaben went to the local school it was just me my mum my sister and, and my granny because uh, my mum and dad divorced when when I was about five I think it was so uh, yeah I had a happy childhood apart from that bombshell when uh, they divorced but uh just lived with that situation and I never felt uh, that it impacted on me as, as mm-hmm. a person or as a young kid growing up. Um, my mum and grand were, were fantastic in, in making sure that even though times were hard and I look back on it now and realise that they were probably harder than I realised at the time, mm-hmm. but, but I always had uh, the best boots or the best footballer. If, if I spotted a ball in the shop, it was always, there was some way they were able to get it to me. Uh, for birthdays or whatever so I never sensed that because um, I was part of a one-parent family it was it was having an issue and I never sensed that mm. there was anything wrong in our family unit. Were you always football obsessed? Oh yeah I think everybody was in, in those days there wasn't too many options there was no <laughs> Xboxes or, or Playstations you just had a ball so I was favourite either kicking a ball or riding a bike um, when the weekend came and certainly in the summer, you just played mm-hmm. as soon as you got up until it went dark at night and your mum was shouting your name on, on the doorstep to get you back in. So, yeah, I had a great time. Um, a lot of the friends that I made through school, I still see them now. Try and get back there at least once a year, usually at Christmas. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah, so, so some real true friends that, that I've still got from, from my time in school. That's really special, isn't it? A lot, a lot of people don't have that. You know, yeah. lives, move, lives move on and people, you know, sometimes are left behind when they move to different cities. But to have that's really yeah, special. Yeah, I think so. I think I always wanted to, to keep that connection. Obviously, me, my mum and sister still live mm-hmm. in the village. Um, so I go back, um, not so much in recent times, obviously, but uh, I've always tried to go back on a regular basis. And, uh, and yeah, I s- see the guys. I've actually uh, just become president of Ruaben Rovers. Oh, <laughs> newly exclusive. Formed, <laughs> newly, yeah, you can put that out. Uh, newly formed team in, in the village. Uh, they always used to have a village team, but for whatever reason, there hasn't been one for about 10, 15 years. So uh, a lot of the guys that I went to school with... Uh, Thought well, we've got to change this, and uh, asked me to be honorary president. Mm. I'm not sure what they're, they're after, if I'm honest, but uh, no doubt. I just say, are you going to get your boots back out? I thought that might be an option, but uh, the reality is <laughs> absolutely not. Um, Can't tell if that's because your reality is you you don't think you can, or if they don't want you to. I think it's a bit of both, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to convince myself that I can still play it. it uh, I did a few. Uh, Exhibition games where when I when I finished mm-hmm. uh, when I was about thirty eight thirty nine forty I think was the oldest I played and uh, I it? thought that that's <laughs> it I can't do it anymore so I leave everybody with their memories of when I could run around. Do you not get tempted to play at, at like um so like I, I know a guy who's played for the England veterans team and he's seventy but he still plays every Sunday well not now obviously but he was playing every Sunday because the age the age group is yeah. Slower, because he is a very <laughs> slow man. <laughs> um, well, when I come to Old Trafford and, and see the pitch as it is today, and you think, yeah, goodness me, you and mm-hmm. I'm getting mm-hmm. the ball out and having a kick around with your mates on that. It's uh, Yeah, you do miss it. It's um, The problem is, is that, I think the reality is, is that, from my point of view, I think I'm a better player now. Unfortunately, I can't run. <laughs> so, so I know a lot more about how the game should be played or how I should have played when I was playing week in, week out. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, physically, I'm not capable of, of doing it anymore. So, uh, which is a shame because you think, all oh, right, I could have been a hell of a player if I, if I was playing now with the knowledge <laughs> yeah. I've got. But I'm, I'm, I'm still at an age where I could be playing. And I think that about myself. Like my, I, I know what's going on up here. I just physically, I'm not capable. Right. No, you can let that go now, Sam. Did you have any footballing idols growing up? Well, I was a big Wrexham fan and um, Wrexham had a, a good town team at, at that point and around the time of, of the early 70s. The likes of Mickey Thomas actually was playing for Wrexham, Joey Jones, who played for Liverpool, went from Wrexham to Liverpool, came back, so he was a big hero in the town. So I was just watching them. They they went up from the third old third division to the second division and that was huge for the mm-hmm. town at that point. So uh, I was into all the Wrexham players. Uh, I could rattle them off, but you wouldn't know any of them. (laughs) We did do a podcast with Mickey Thomas, so I'm sure we've heard some of the names. What what was your first encounter with Mickey? Well, I used to watch Mickey, obviously, and uh, I used to think he was a fantastic player. He was at that level, clearly, and went on to Sanford United. And when I joined the club as an apprentice, uh, used to see Mickey, obviously. More often than not, he was in the the boot room with the the apprentices. I I think he was a bit intimidated by the the lads in the the senior dressing room. So I think he felt more comfortable with Mm -hmm. us young lads in the the boot room. So he'd come in and have a chat and 
and he'd give you his hide in his words. Yeah. <laughs> he did say he, he yeah, did hide. hide a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he, was, he was a great, great guy, real character, a little bit insecure. I think everybody mm-hmm. understood that, yeah. but uh, but fantastic player though, mm-hmm. uh, when he was in his pomp. Did he help you a lot whenever you did make the move to here? Did he put an arm around you and look after you? Uh, not not so much. Like I said, we probably put an arm around Mickey yeah. at times. <laughs> uh, he did once uh, give me a lift home because uh, I was going every weekend after after the match. I'd be wanting to get back home to Wrexham. So uh, he said, oh, I'll give you a lift. So he gave me a lift. But what he didn't say was that he wasn't actually going direct to, to Wrexham. He was going to drop me off in Flint which is about 30-odd miles away. So he dropped me off at this remote railway station, and I think there wasn't another train for about three hours. I'm thinking, well, I'm never going to ask him to, to yeah. drop me off again. So that was the only time he offered, and that's the only time I accepted. So, uh, But it's typical typical Mickey there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Have you always been a centre-forward? No, no. Well, um, right through um, schoolboy time, and I played... For Welsh schoolboys, and I was a midfield player. Um, always played midfield. Came here as an apprentice, as a midfield player, and uh, actually wasn't doing particularly well, if I'm honest. Um, right. I was probably just treading water, wasn't really progressing in my first year. So uh, I remember the game we actually played a Norwegian team, and the youth team manager then was Sid Owen. And I think through desperation, I think he thought, well, he's never going to make it as a midfield player, but try and find another position for him. So he, he threw me up front and I'm thinking, why has he done that? Because I've never played up front in my life before. Uh, and I ended up scoring three goals. So that's where I, that's where I stayed. So uh, I, I never, only in towards the latter end of my career, I started to drift back when I couldn't yeah. run again. So uh, I ended up in midfield again. But uh, that was uh, that Do was you ever think, you know, somebody just made that decision? And we do hear it quite a lot. Most people start at the front and end up at the back. But that it's such a fine line. If he had never suggested that to you to put you up front, you know. No, yeah, I, I think looking back, clearly he was a footballer. He could see something in me. Um, but as a manager then in your former, in your later years, sorry, did you then think about those things? Yeah, I think you've, you've got to give everybody an opportunity mm-hmm. to be the best they can be. And if you can do that, and if that means a, a positional change, just so that you can actually sometimes just get someone you want mm who can give you the skill set that you need at that, that time, mm-hmm. uh, even just for their personality in the team. The mm-hmm. you, you have to find a way to get them into the team. So maybe he thought that. I was obviously a, a strong lad, so he probably thought I could deal with mm-hmm. the physicality of playing up front. So uh, I think that's probably the thinking behind the reason he, he put me up there in the first place. When that happened, did you find you had to make a like an adjustment mentally in approach to games? Because... When we think about elite forwards and we hear from elite forwards, we spoke to Ruud van Nistelrooy not that long ago and he was obsessed with scoring goals and would think about them constantly. If the team won 5-1, he hadn't scored, he wouldn't be very excited about it. But if you were playing in midfield and you hadn't thought about being a forward, presumably you weren't that worried about scoring goals, you just wanted the team to win. But you need to be more selfish as a forward. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I was always happier if I was involved in the game. Mm-hmm. If I played well, I expected to score. And if I had, I used to say, if I had three, four chances in the game, I'd expect to score one of them. And that came as a consequence of playing well. You played well, the team mm-hmm. played well, you, you got chances, you scored goals. Mm-hmm. So I was viewed at it to that extent, but I was never obsessed with, with scoring. I think it shows the record that I've got. I was okay. I, I scored 15 to 20 goals a year. But somebody once said I, I was never a, 
a great goal scorer, but a scorer of great, great goals. goals. Mm-hmm. So I quite like that. So uh, <laughs> I, w- I wasn't too perturbed that people didn't see me as a as a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. It was it was very much I think probably because I did play in midfield initially that I wanted to be involved in in the build up play yeah. and and be involved in 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 the majority of the game. I couldn't just stand on the edge of the box and and wait for crosses to come in or things flashing mm. across the six yard box to get on the end of that wouldn't have sustained me. I don't. Can I just ask, just going back a little bit, what age when, were you when you came here and did you live in digs with anyone? Yeah, I came here, I was uh, I was playing representative football for, obviously I, I played for Welsh schoolboys, North yeah. Wales and whatever, and uh, I had a scout from Bangor who spotted me, uh, Hugh Roberts. But in those days, you, you weren't allowed to approach players until you, you were 14, mm-hmm. which people will think, well, that's... That's really That's strange, that, yeah. yeah, because now it's eight, nine, ten, whatever yeah. it is. But I actually think it was a good thing because I think, in all honesty, I think uh, players get attached to clubs a little bit too early. They should be playing with their mates on, on the local park mm-hmm. and just yeah. enjoying the football. But that's the way it is now. But um, So I was playing under 13s uh, from memory and uh, because they weren't, they weren't allowed to approach you or your parents, they, they always found a way. And I used to, st- I started getting birthday cards and Christmas cards from Man United with with the emblem on and I was really proud of these Christmas cards that I was getting so uh, that was the way that they touched base with you and as soon as you got to 14 years of age they, they were dragging you over for trials so I came for a trial here I actually went to West Brom the week before I uh, didn't do particularly well and then I came here the second week of the Christmas holidays I think it was then they asked me to sign schoolboy forms and I, I used to come Every Friday, I used to have to ask for five minutes off from school uh, because the train to Manchester, which train to Chester was five past four, and I had to run from the top of the hill where the school was down to the train station at the bottom, <laughs> and I had five minutes to do it. So I used to have to ask for five minutes off uh, on a Friday afternoon to, so I could catch the train. So I was 13, and I used to have to go from Chester, change to Chester, into Oxford Road, uh, get a taxi to me digs, which was in Stratford actually, initially. I did that for six, seven months, played in the team. And then at the end of it, uh, I got an apprenticeship. And I initially was in digs in Davy Hume, and then that wasn't working out. Uh, I was in with Graham Hogg, and uh, <laughs> he wasn't uh, he wasn't having uh, the landlady. She he, he didn't like living there for whatever reason. I, I was okay with it, but... Uh, so we left. So I thought, well, I'm staying here on my own. So, <laughs> so I left with him. And we ended up right next door to the cliff at Low Broughton Road. And if you know the cliff training ground, there's a row of black and white houses just mm. before you get to the entrance. And I was on the end one with uh, Mr. and Mrs. K and Annie and Tommy. And they they were great. Um, used to call her my second mum. Mm. And, uh, yeah, she looked after me. Um uh, Dave, their son, was my best man. Was so, that ever a problem, oh, wow. leaving home? Yeah. Um, initially, because we had a few problems with, with our first digs. Yeah. Uh, so myself and Augie, we weren't happy. So uh, once we settled in Low Broughton Road, it was it was great. I had yeah. a fantastic time there. Touching what you said about me being first in, last out, I just <laughs> used to love being able just to roll out of bed mm. five minutes before training, walk 100 yards into the cliff, and then uh, I was I was back out of the place. 
almost immediately after. So uh, it was perfect, perfect digs for me. Sparky never turned his car off. Just kept it ticking over. <laughs> it was the last one in, first one out. Like that. Where's it gone? Yeah. Away. Away. It's funny that you say that the landlady's son was your best man. I mean, obviously, I don't know you personally, but I can sense that loyalty is very important to you. You know, you said you still go back and see your school friends. That, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, but was your best man. It's really special to have those relationships in life. Yeah, I think so. You, you've got to nurture them. You, you can't just uh, let them wither. I think it's it's about... Um, I'm guilty of, like everybody, that sometimes you don't invest enough time in in the re- relationships you've got. Um, I'm not the best on the phone, so I'm never ringing people up and asking them how they how they are, which in these times is what you should mm-hmm. be doing. So we're all guilty of that, I'm, I'm sure, to a greater or lesser extent. But... Uh, yeah, it is important to me. I was always conscious of the fact I didn't want people to think I'd changed mm-hmm. when obviously I had a good amount of success in my, in my professional life, but I didn't want people to think I'd changed as a person. The reality is is that actually people change towards you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, your, it's their attitude mm-hmm. to you that changes. It's, it's not that you've changed as, as a person, it's just that they view you mm-hmm. differently. And I think that's, that's a shame, really, because that's when sometimes you can lose touch with mm-hmm. people when really you haven't changed in, mm. in terms of your attitude to them. Mm-hmm. So you got into the youth team. You were an apprentice, sorry. You were then in the youth team. How long were you in that youth team before you made your step up to the first team, which um, was, I believe, against Oxford United? Yeah, I was. I didn't make the breakthrough for, uh, very early, if if I'm honest. I, I think it was probably Norman Whiteside's problem <laughs> because big Norman was... Uh, he was in the way, if I'm honest, because... Because he burst through. I mean, I played schoolboy football. Um, he was playing for Northern Ireland. I was playing for Wales. And uh, Norman was a man when he was 14. I mean, he was younger mm-hmm. than me. And uh, he was huge as a as a kid. But he just used to bash people around, didn't he? <laughs> Fantastic player, Norman. He had great ability. But he had a real physicality. And, and he was a man at 13, 14 years mm-hmm. of age. And uh, Are you saying you never bashed anyone around? Well, I used to look at. I'm not I'm I've, been on, I've been on the end of a few of them. As well, like. Yeah, I was known for that, maybe. But um, yeah, but Big Norma was. I used to look at him and think. Initially, when I I went to United, I was, was probably too introverted, if I'm honest, and uh, I needed just to to get out there and show people what I could do. Mm. So uh, by being aggressive, I looked at what Norma was doing, and I think, well, maybe that's the way forward. So uh, I just started. Uh, been a little bit more physical than knocking people around, knocking them over, <laughs> embarrassing them. And uh, that's when I, I realised, actually, I started to progress more. So I thought I may as well continue with this vein of form. So, uh, yeah. But but Norman was always ahead of me. So I think my my pathway initially was was blocked to a certain extent by Norman just because mm-hmm. he was ahead of me in, in his development. I'm going to say he was playing World Cups when he was 16, 17 yeah. or whatever it was. So, uh he was a good 18 months ahead. But we had a great time in the youth team. It was me and Norman up front in the youth team. So uh, so we caused a, a bit of havoc in those days. We got to the semi-final. No, we got to the final. Actually got beat in the final at Watford. But it was a good youth team. A lot of good players in that. But uh, as I said, my progression to the first team was just stymied a little bit. Just mm-hmm. because Norman was, was in the way. But I finally got in the first team as a consequence of Norman dropping back into midfield. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was uh, that was a bonus. Scored in your debut too. Yeah, yeah. I played away in the League Cup against uh, Oxford. I wasn't down to play. I was on the bench, and I think 
I think it was Arthur Graham. I don't know if you remember Arthur Graham. Uh, he was here for a short spell, but uh, he actually had the trots just before the, the match. So he was in desperate. <laughs> yeah, he was in desperate. Well, well, you always find that you get your opportunity yeah. not through design, it's just by... Diarrhea. Yeah, by diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so he, was, he was having problems in the, in the toilet, so they, they made a change and I, was, I ended up starting the game on the left wing because that's where he was supposed yeah. to be playing. So I, another occasion where I'm thinking, what the hell do I do as a tricky left winger? But... Um, I uh, didn't play particularly well in the game, if I'm honest, but uh, I ended up scoring scoring a goal. So it's that old adage that if you get an opportunity, you've got to try and make the most of it, and scoring a goal is the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got a little, little bit of the headlines after the game. We we actually drew the game 1-1, and we were lucky to get get a draw out of the game because it was an easy place in them days to go mm -hmm. to Oxford. It was a big sloping pitch, and the, the two centre-halves were, were a couple of... Uh, well-known hatchet men, if if I can put it in that in that terms. Uh, so I was up against two hardened, experienced players, and uh, I had to try and look after myself. So I must have done that because people thought I did well on the night. Whereas, if I was honest, I didn't think I'd mm -hmm. particularly done that well, but scored a goal, so that covers mm -hmm. up a lot of evils. There's been a, a running theme, I think, in a, in a lot of our podcast conversations with defenders and forwards where young forwards have made their the start of their career against older centre-backs who have known how to handle them physically or older centre-forwards dealing with younger defenders. So mm. like Maisie, you said, didn't you, on your debut, you got kicked all over the place by the centre-forward. Yeah. From what you were saying earlier, did you have that problem when you were younger? Had you already worked out how to cope with like older, more well, experienced players that would try and kick you? That that was the reality of the game, in those days. If if we're honest, it was a, a case of you, you had to understand that physically. Certainly in the early parts of games, people would try and intimidate you with their physicality, and mm -hmm. if they thought that you showed any weakness, then then they were obviously ahead of the game then, and uh, they they had deposited over you. So invariably, the first twenty minutes of games when I was playing, and Maisie will tell you, it was just a free for all. I mean, yeah. the referees just used to throw the ball into the middle of the pitch, and we just used to kick Get on with it. three bells yeah. of whatever out of each other for the first twenty minutes. And then all of a sudden, you'd say, "Right, you've you've kicked him. He's kicked you. Now calm down, and mm -hmm. now now we'll start the game proper." Which was twenty minutes into the game. So uh, that's how it was. You just uh, you had to. Set the tone, and I think playing for a team like Man United, um, obviously we were a target, mm -hmm. and unless the teams felt well, maybe we can't beat them in terms of technique and and the way Skill, we yeah. want to play. So we had to try; they had to try and intimidate us physically and knock us off our stride, and that's what they used to try and do. When how do you think you cop today? Um, how long did it last? Last <laughs> long at all, because. A big part of it was the dark arts as well. The things that went yeah. on off the ball. The referee would be looking the other way and you <laughs> give somebody a dig, say, don't do that again. And so all that would be picked up these days. So uh, I'm not sure I would have had a creator, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a completely different game altogether. It's, I, I'm not sure it's any less enjoyable. Yeah, I think when we played, it was that was what we, we expected and that's what we understood the game was about. The physicality was... It was a lot more aggressive. It was aggressive off the pitch as well in terms of the, the crowds more aggressive. So I think that filtered through to the yeah. players. There was an expectation that you you had to fight and scrap for, for everything that you, you were trying to win. And that's what we had to do. 
Obviously, you've talked about your debut there. When did you feel like you'd started to really establish yourself in the first team? And what was your relationship like with the manager at that time? Um, well, Big Ron uh, put me in the team and I'm forever grateful for that and took a chance on me and I did OK and scored a few goals. And in fact, most of my debuts, I think, I scored goals. And uh, I think, obviously, the Oxford one was the first time I'd, I'd played in the first team, but... My first full debut was here. I think it was against Leicester, uh, from memory. And I scored on my debut. Uh, international debuts, and I scored in that as well. So whenever I, I needed to make an impression, thankfully, it seemed like mm -hmm. I was able to do that. So uh, so that initial breakthrough season was really good for me. Uh, we got to the cup final. Uh, I won Young Player of the Year. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I just stayed in the team by virtue of playing well. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that was always my aim. I just felt I didn't need... To have any kind of relationship with with managers, I just needed them to play me week in, week mm -hmm. out. And I viewed the only way that was going to happen was if I played well and, mm -hmm. and I was a, effective on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, that's I'd like to think I was. <laughs> and uh, that's what I tried to do. I, I tried to make it very difficult to drop. Mm -hmm. You very casually just said we picked up the cup. What was it like winning the FA Cup? Yeah, well, it was... Well, in those days, um, when... Myself and Maisie were starting our careers. <laughs> or oh, as schoolboys, I'm sure you, you'll yeah. agree, Maisie, is that when you're kicking about with your mates, you, you just, everybody wanted to be a footballer. When I grow up, I'm going to be a professional footballer. I'm going to play play f for Wales. I'm going to play for my country. I'm going to play for in the, in the first division. And I'm going to win the FA Cup. That was a big thing. It wasn't yeah. win the league title. No. It was, I want to play in the cup final. I want to win the FA Cup. So the, the, I think... Unfortunately, the the competition has been diminished, and it's understandable the the, the strength and the, the wealth of the mm. Premier League's done that to the competition. So, it's slipping down the list of priorities, unfortunately. But uh, um, when I broke through, the FA Cup final was the game mm. of the footballing calendar, and to get there in so early in my career was was fantastic. I always remember coming up the old tunnel at Wembley and thinking to myself, "I've seen this." That'd be my front door, that probably. <laughs> Do you need to get up? No, no, no. it's one. I told you, it's my front door. <laughs> um, so I was walking up uh, the old Wembley Tunnel and I'm thinking to myself, I've seen this on telly and I can't believe actually I'm actually doing it. Mm. And I always remember coming out as it opens up uh, behind the goal and uh, it was the colour that hit you because invariably it was always a sunny day and you could always... It was always the best day for a barbecue, FA Cup final day, because it was yeah, always sunny. Yeah. Um, but it was the, the splash of colour and the, the vibrancy of the colour. That, that's what struck me straight away. I thought, wow, this is like something I've never been involved in before. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Was you nervous? Um, Do you get nervous before games or did you? No, I don't, don't ever recall really getting nervous about thinking it was affecting me physically yeah. like my legs won't work or whatever but uh, no I used to get excited by yeah. by games thinking yeah I can't wait to get out I think it was that's that's what got me going mm. and the bigger the game the better if I'm honest I, I used to really love did you think that cup final then as you're walking up you're looking at the centre halves and all you're thinking is that you two are going to get it in the first 20 minutes yeah basically that's yeah. the reality of it <laughs> it's, it's like it was always you against them, yeah. And you had to come out on top. If you came out on top, then the 
invariably you win the game. Yeah, invariably yeah. You, you're going to score goals, you're going to win the game. And that was that was your role. That's what you had to do. You had to get out there and not be intimidated, actually intimidate the opposition if you could. Mm. And if you could do that, and you can do it in many ways, you can, as I said, you can do it by the dark arts, <laughs> but you can actually <laughs> do it by your ability because of course, yeah. I did have a little bit of ability to, to affect them as well. So, uh, yeah, it was great times. But uh, the big games in the Africa finals will will always remain a, a real strong image uh, whenever I look back on them. Look, looking at that FA Cup, that was Norman's goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Kev yeah. getting sent off as well. Yeah. Did you think then? Well, uh, we actually, uh, if you, it was a long time ago and, and we actually were fortunate to a certain extent because obviously we went down to 10 men when Kevin got sent off, but Everton had actually played a Cup Winners' Cup That's uh, right, on yeah. the Wednesday yeah. before. And I think they might have celebrated a little bit too long, if I'm honest, because <laughs> they looked dead on their feet and yeah. they had one more man than us. But And I think we sensed that and uh, we thought, well, actually, we'll keep going here. We might get something. The, the only regret I have of that is that everybody, uh, whenever I see footage of Norman's goal, and it was a great goal. Yeah. It had to be a great goal to, to beat Be-Nav. Big Nev. Yeah. But they never see my pass to... To know, and they always cut it as the ball's arriving to him. So I'm thinking, oh, you missed my pass again, for goodness sake. Outside of the foot from the halfway line, straight to his feet. Yeah. He had yeah. nothing else to do, for goodness sake. Scoring a goal was the easy bit. Maisie uh, does that. But you know the Cantonar goal, the chip? Yeah. Maisie plays the ball into Cantonar before he does the one-two with Chocky and you end up with the goal. And he does the same thing. Always says, I created that goal. I created that goal. But you never never see his pass. The archives need to go back about another four or five seconds just to get the pass in. Exactly right. Uh, Maisie, how do you think you would have coped or did you cope when you played against Mark? Because... Well, I'd have been... We played against each other when you were a black Black man. I was thinking you talk about using the the dark arts and a bit of physicality and getting away with things, but also... Being a really good centre forward. I was a young pup then. Mm-hmm. And playing against him was like, here we go. <laughs> but like I played alongside Kev as well mm. at Blackburn. Yeah, and Kev would have said, you know, yeah. just don't fight him because you've no chance. It's, absolutely, <laughs> it's pointless. Mm. And you learn that. Mm. And playing against him, as I say, you could kick 10 bells of shit out of him. And you still get back up and you think, oh God, here we go. Mm. <laughs> That little bit of intimidation that yeah. the older players tried to put on, I tried to put that on Spark, and it's like, nah, it's not happening. <laughs> which, which was part of what I tried to do. He was the old, I mean, God love them, the players today, and uh, there's oh, yeah. no crowds or whatever. And, and when this foul's going in, clearly they, they want to make sure they get a free kick. But yeah. the screaming, screaming and the rolling around, I mean, no. that was one thing you, you, you were, were not allowed mm-hmm. to show. I mean, goodness me, if you started screaming and rolling around at Old Trafford, United fans would tell you to get up. It, yeah. it wouldn't be about trying to get a free kick. So uh, it was always about showing strengths and don't Taking show them your hurts yeah. and all that. So, uh, yeah, it was all about... Because if you showed that, you said that message you're sending to the opposition is that, well, whatever you try, you can't hurt me. Yeah. Or you can't intimidate me. So you used to... Even if, you, even if you thought you'd broken your leg, you, you still had to get, get up. up. Yeah. Do you find that weird now? It's like watching things like that happen and thinking how it was when you were playing? I, I think you just got to accept it. It's, it is where the game is at the moment and the game's refereed differently as well and VAR and yeah. all the cameras. It's, it's, you can't play like we did and why would you? It was, it was crazy times when we were playing. Um, <laughs> I look at these pitches and 
that is the, the huge difference. I mean, the pitches are, are unbelievable. Yeah. It's a the shame carpet. to play on them. Well, <laughs> see them like they are. As, uh, as this is being said, just for those listening, we're, we're sat in a box at Old Trafford and Mark is talking about the pitch, looking out at it, and it's a lovely sunny day mm. and it couldn't look nicer, could it? No, it's beautiful. Yeah, at this time of the year when we were playing, there was always no grass in the goal mouth. <laughs> yeah. The centre spot was always parched patch, and, yeah. and a mud patch. So uh, yeah. just to see it green and striped. <laughs> I wish I could get my lawn like that. <laughs> um, so after the 1985 FA Cup final, obviously the next year you moved on. Tell us about your thoughts and memories of that time and what was it like for you? Uh, yeah, well, it was a strange time, if, if I'm honest. Uh, I was getting a lot of uh, notice just by virtue of playing for Man United. I, I'd done okay uh, in international games. I'd, I'd scored a, a good goal against a volley against Spain, which I, I think... Uh, That's an unbelievable volley, by the way. Yeah, that was, that was one that of was special. My, my best ones, yeah. that one. And the feeling was that... There was a bid was going to come in from maybe a foreign club just because that's where the money was in those days. Italy was the, the mm. big place or, or Spain, either Real Madrid or Barcelona. And uh, I was in between agents or agents were coming out of the woodwork because they, they could see what was likely to happen. And I was just trying to play my game. I was quite happy. I, I, I was sent a forward for Man United, for goodness mm. sake. And uh, I was coming here week in, week out, playing in front of... 40-odd thousand, and uh, I was having a great time. I didn't particularly want to go anywhere. But I think it got to a point where there was an assumption that, well, actually, you want to leave, you, you're going to leave, so it's going to happen. And I ended up... And Big, Ron, Big Ron's still the manager now. Yeah, Big yeah. Ron was the manager, and um, I think he got to the point where he thought, well, we might have to cash in because it's going to happen. Yeah. So I actually... Uh, but you was willing to stay, though. Well, it, your contract it, or was it just it, got, it sort of snowballed and uh, it got to a point where I'm thinking well it won't get that far it won't yeah. get that far and I ended up um, meeting the vice president of Barcelona and uh, and the meeting went on and on and I wasn't quite sure he was in Spanish and French and a little bit of English <laughs> and, and it got to a point where at some point I, I, I agreed that well at the end of the season if all things being equal I, w I would go to Barcelona, uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't really want to go. I'm having a great time here. But, yeah. but from that point onwards, I think the the stone had been cast and uh, I was on my way. And all of a sudden, got to the end of that season, which was, had been a disappointment because we'd started off so well winning 10, 10 games Ten in a row. Yeah. That was the season of that. And and it unfortunately, we got to the new year and... Um, my form just went off a cliff and whether or not that was because I knew that I had this thing mm. in the back of the mind that actually I might be leaving. Um, so whether or not that was part of it, but my form was hopeless. And uh, I think people surmised that, well, it's because I knew I was going, which I did, but not because I was excited by it. Mm. I wanted to protect myself and make sure I didn't get injured. It just, I didn't want to go. But I got to the, the summer and all, all of a sudden I, I found myself on a plane to Barcelona. But that was probably because of my personality, because I, did, I didn't really come out and say, I'm gone, guys. Uh, mm. I don't, I don't want to go, and I'm not going. Yeah. And I, I could have stopped it dead, but because that conversation 
was never allowed to happen or I didn't allow it to, to happen. I ended up in a Barcelona. It's not a bad place to go, by the way. <laughs> yeah. If I could have chose the club, it, it wasn't a bad one. But uh, um, What was your time like over there? I actually enjoyed it. Uh, the football, once again, it comes back to the physicality of myself as a player. And I tried was to there a Lineker there, were you? Yeah, Gary, yeah. Gary signed. I obviously give an indication in the January. Gary went after the World Cup in 86. Um, they signed him after that. And I went there and the football was different, clearly. Mm. It was Spanish football. It was, it was more technical. And, um, and my physicality of and the way I've been able to progress at United wasn't going to allow me to progress at Barcelona because the referees were, were on to me straight away. <laughs> so I ended up getting to a point where I wasn't playing like I knew I could mm. play. I was uh, maybe 70 60, 70% of what I knew I could be just because I didn't have that physicality to my game. So I had a good time there. I enjoyed the city, great city. But football-wise, I look back around now and think it was a good opportunity, one that probably I didn't make the, the best of. Who did you go over there with? Did you go over, was you married at the time? No, I wasn't no. married. I just met my wife uh, about two months before I was set to leave. So she used to come over um, every two weeks or so, and uh, and that was difficult because yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed somebody there just just support. There was no play liaison. Oh, this whole department's now Quite for goodness well. sake. Yeah. yeah, but there was nothing. There was no no uh, Skype or anything. Uh, no Sky. Yeah, the, it was only Spanish TV, which one of internet. Didn't know was no internet. <laughs> no, there wasn't anything. <laughs> so uh, it was more difficult. It'd be a lot easier now, clearly, yeah, but. Of but yeah, it was difficult, and, and that affected my my mm-hmm. my ability to perform, unfortunately, because I wasn't settled off the pitch. I wasn't happy off the pitch, um, so that that was reflected in how well I played. What was the experience like? Just just because you were there a season, weren't you? And then you went to yeah, season, season and a bit, um, and I had an opportunity. Well, United had said that they they wanted to bring me back, but I had an issue. Uh, tax situation where I needed to be out of the country for a full tax year, which I hadn't been. So they said, okay, well, we'll get you at the end of the season, which uh, obviously helped me financially. Uh, so I knew that United were waiting to sign me at the end of the season, but I needed to go somewhere to play because yeah. I was desperate to play because I'd I'd lost my place in, in the Barcelona team because you could only have two foreign players. So the real replaced me so I couldn't play mm-hmm. so I ended up going to Bayern Munich and I had a fantastic time there because it was such a a well-run club and it was it was such a well-run club because they had so many football people that were in prominent places with, throughout the club you, you think of Uli Hoeneß and uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge they were in the top jobs within the club mm-hmm. so they knew exactly how players thought and and how how they felt off the pitch or, or if they had problems off the pitch, it was going to affect them on it. So they made sure everything was in place. I always tell the story about a Barcelona. I had to try and find a car and I ended up hiring a car for about six months. It cost me an arm and a leg just because I didn't know how to buy one. I didn't know anywhere to go. It was stupid, really. But I remember going to Bayern Munich and um, I was there for 24 hours and... The next day I turned up a trainer and there was a new BMW there for me after a day. 
So I thought, well, these these yeah. guys aren't bad. So if uh, if around being the fact that United wanted to bring me back, I would have stayed there because it was a fantastic club. Mm-hmm. They they were they were ahead of in terms of sports science because there was no real understanding of of preparation and sports science. In those days, Barcelona were exactly the same as United. In those days, they're not a great provision for uh, refueling and hydration strategies. There's nothing of that, but Bayern Munich had everything. <laughs> and uh, we're talking 25, 30 years ago. Uh, they were into it straight away then. So they were about 10, 15 years ahead of everybody. We talked about uh, some of the differences between football today and when you were playing. But one thing I read strikes me as being incredibly different. Am I right in thinking that when you were at Bayern Munich, you played a Euro qualifier for Wales, then flew to Germany and came on as a substitute for Bayern Munich in the same day? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had a big um, European Championship game. We, we needed to win the game for Wales, but I'd only just gone to Bayern Munich and I think it was uh, my first game, actually. I was supposed to, obviously, after the game, fly fly back to to Manchester and then meet up with the Welsh squad and uh, the Saturday night I got fog bound so the flight was cancelled so I was stuck in Munich so uh, early on actually asked me to come to his house for dinner myself and my agent who was over there for the game uh, so we went to his house had, had a nice meal and we were just discussing football and, and and he asked about the game on the Wednesday he said well, what time is your game on the Wednesday and I said, well, it's about one, two o'clock. And he goes, all oh, right. So so he goes, so you'll be able to play for us in the night time? <laughs> I go, I'm thinking to myself, is he having a laugh or, or yeah. is he deadly serious? And clearly Testing he was deadly me. serious. But by all accounts, he'd, he'd actually done it before with a player called Soren Lerby. Uh, I don't know if you remember him. He, Swedish, he, Swedish, Swedish or Danish, like, yeah. Danish, I think he was. And he'd actually done it with him where he'd, he played against Ireland, funny enough, from, from recollection and and they flew him back. So he says, All right, leave it with me. So I went and met up on the Sunday, playing on the Wednesday, and um I get a call saying, Oh, by the way, after the game, you have to jump out the shell quick because Uli's waiting in the stand and you've got to get back for the game at night. So I said, Okay. So we unfortunately we got beat in the in the Welsh game. Jumped in the car with Uli, ended up in this little little plane. It wasn't a flash jet or anything, a little <laughs> propeller thing. But it was, we were playing Czechoslovakia, so it was just over the border from Germany. So uh, uh, it took about an hour, an hour and a half, I think. And um, we were a little bit behind the clock. So the game was actually going on. So the floodlights were on and we actually flew over the stadium as they were playing. So we had to land at the airport, jumped into, I think his. It was a green Porsche from memory, and he, he drove like a bat out of hell. So I didn't think we were going to make the stadium for honest. I thought we'd be in a crash, but uh, we got there, and I got there at half time. And don't know how they did it, but I must have been on the team sheet clearly. And uh, there was actually a, a guy who looked similar to me. He had the old mullet. He <laughs> was a German arm and neck. His name was, and uh, and he was he was on the bench as well. And I think they must have thought because they saw me warm, warming up, knocked. The crowd was yeah. full house at the Olympic Stadium and uh, clearly they weren't thinking I was going to be there. So I think they thought uh, I was arm and neck. So it didn't register that it was me. And all of a sudden, we were actually losing the game. I can't remember if we were losing 2-1 or 1-0, or e- either way. 
Um, so they made a change. It was about on 60 minutes, and lo and behold, on I came. And uh, as you would expect, we, we won the game, and uh, I was a big <laughs> hero. The reality was, was that I didn't get a kick. I was absolutely knackered, and uh, I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing? And I was running around, missing balls and falling over. And, and in fairness, the lad that came on with he made a double substitution, and uh, I came on with Michael Rumenig, and he actually scored two goals to get us the win. <laughs> and he didn't get a mention. It was all about me playing playing two games in one day, which is a bit harsh on him, if we're honest. But uh, yeah, but um, Barulionis just thought like that. He was. That's madness. Because, yeah, because he's a real football guy, you just mm. could see the possibility of it. And How did the game, the, the afternoon game go with Wales? We got beat, unfortunately, yeah, 2-0. And uh, so I was, I was down anyway, because we, because yeah. if we'd have won that game, we would have qualified for the European Championships. So to get myself up again, it yeah. was really hard. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your homecoming then, back here. Yeah, well, as I said, I, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have gone anywhere else. Uh, the fact it was United wanted to bring me back, that was that was the key for me. And uh, I'd had a great time abroad too. Two years football-wise was better in Germany. I felt like I'd, I'd rediscovered myself because German football was similar to, mm. to British football. Not the same, not as aggressive and physical, but uh, more like I was used to. So I think I, I made a better fist of, of their way of playing. So when when I came back, I felt I was a I was a better player. Um, I was more settled off the the pitch as well. I was married, I had my first child as well. So uh, everything was in place for me mm. to be successful. And I came back, and I just I just felt more comfortable in my surroundings. I was viewed not as a young player coming through the ranks. I was a big money signing, so that changes people's mentality to you as a person. So I had more standing in the club. So. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. So um, I played okay the first year. Under uh, Sir Alex, we must add as well. Yeah, yeah, obviously Sir Alex. Thankfully, you brought me back. And um, yeah, in that first year, it, the season itself wasn't great. But uh, for me personally, it was it was good. Uh, I think I won Player of the Year that year, the mm-hmm. first year I came back. And it was the first, you are the first United player to win Player of the Year. It was the first. I may you, well have been, yeah. it was yeah. the first one to win the PFA Player of the Year. And you were the first player to win it twice, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That first year was important for me because... I wanted to come back and show that I'd improved as as a player. And I think I did that. Clearly, my peers thought that season I'd, I'd done really well. And um, the likelihood was that obviously they'd seen the difference in my player and they thought I'd improved and and come back as as a more rounded player and, and a player of, of influence. So that was really important, the first one that I won, uh, because they recognised the fact that I'd been away but come back better. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the FA Cup final again looms again not long after. Uh, what was that moment like? Yeah, well, Sir Alex obviously wasn't having the best of times, if we're honest. And uh, I think everybody remembers the Notts Forest game. And mm-hmm. thankfully, Mark Robbins scored a great goal. Once again, from a great pass by me. But I'm pretty <laughs> excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we go, I always remember that game because it was because uh, the press were trying to make out that if we didn't win that game, then Sir Alex was mm-hmm. was getting the bullets, and uh, we never felt like that because we we knew what was going on behind the scenes, and everybody was in it. We we were all fully we were all fully behind Sir Alex, and we turned up at the Forest Ground, and uh, 
the United fans on that day, I always remember them. They're always, they were right across the far end, mm -hmm. all on the terrace, right on the bottom. And they were fantastic that day. And, and I sensed that they, they were angry a little bit because they, they were being told that, oh, your manager's getting mm -hmm. sacked today. And they weren't prepared to, to accept that. And I think the, the players recognised, I certainly thought, well, yeah, well, they don't think it's going to happen, so we better make sure it doesn't. So mm -hmm. um, we were able to win that game, thankfully. I went all the way and won the, won the trophy at the end of it. And then that group of players understood how how to win trophies then. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's a, a big breakthrough moment for a group of players. Once you win that first trophy, if you can win that first trophy, then it, it makes it easier uh, can I just to understand. Ask, sorry, I should have asked this before. But when you were here originally, obviously it was Big Ron, then you came back and it was Sir Alex. You said you changed as a person. How did you think the club had changed? Did you see a different difference in uh, the club? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. There was more discipline and uh, Big Ron's style of management was to get everybody together and enjoy themselves and enjoy the football. But the reality was that United at, then, at that stage were, were very much a, a cup team. We had the potential to win cups, but we couldn't mm -hmm. win a league title. Uh, we just, we didn't have that capacity in those days. But I sense when I came back that Sir Alex had obviously looked at uh, the culture of the club. And clearly there was maybe, it was a little bit loose in terms of discipline. Let's put it that, that way. Politely <laughs> um, put. So we timed all that up and um, and we were always aware of of the demands and standards that Sir Alex had. So, yeah, there was a complete change when, when I came back in terms mm -hmm. of the mentality of the group that I was joining mm -hmm. prior to, obviously, in comparison to the one I left. So after the FA Cup, the next trophy that came was the Cup Winners' Cup. Was that extra special for you because the final, well, the, the game, it was against Barcelona? Um, well, I, I enjoyed it. Obviously, it was, uh, it was important that we as a club uh, flew the flag for, for English football because we'd been out of European football for five years. We were first team back in after the the ban after Heysel so uh, we wanted to fly the flag as I said and we wanted to make a real statement about English football it's been away mm. for five years but we're still we're still here and we're still um, a league to be concerned about so uh, yeah to get to the final was fantastic and uh, the final itself wasn't a great game if, if I recall I haven't seen it from start to finish on too many occasions since, but um, I have watched it and uh, it wasn't a great game. <laughs> the quality was sadly lacking, but who, who cares? Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, who Doesn't cares? Matter. We were able to win win the trophy and it, it was uh, it was a, it was a great night. I mean, everybody talks about Rotterdam, yeah. and I remember when we turned up at the stadium, there was just reds everywhere. Um, mm. Don't think I, I saw a Barcelona fan until I actually got into the stadium, and they, they had a the section behind one goal, I think, and they didn't even fill that, whereas the rest yeah. of the stadium was all red. So uh, you sense that it was going to be our night. I always remember, and I've actually got a picture of it, where the two teams are lined up as we're just waiting for the referee to to blow the whistle. And uh, it just started to rain and it was all misty and it was a bit cold. And I looked across and a couple of their lads were like <laughs> <laughs> rubbing their arms and bouncing up and down trying to keep warm and I'm thinking these this month yeah. don't fancy it today. It was, it was a typical British yeah. 
British football day, in my view. So I'm thinking, yeah, we can, we've got a chance here. Do you ever regret taking that goal off, Brewster? No, you're joking, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, always, uh, I always say I was just Probably doing one of your like best jo- finishes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually score from that close in, if I'm honest. But uh, no, the reality was, in fairness, it was a great ball in. I'm not sure who put it in. It might have been Robbo, actually. Sharpie, was it? Was it Sharpie? Yeah, it might have been. And uh, Bruce, a great header. And, just yeah, make sure. Absolutely, he was going in. <laughs> but I was just doing my job. I always... Uh, throw this in and I didn't think it was going to go over the line because there was two defenders yeah, flying yeah. in so I thought well I better, better just knock it over the line so that's what I did but the everybody sec- the second one special though yeah yeah second one was but, but the first one everybody ran to Brucey and jumped on yeah, him yeah. and said well done Brucey great goal and I just turned and went to the halfway line and I looked up on, and the screen was on the opposite side of the pitch behind the goal and I looked up and Hughes and lights came up. I thought that, that's okay. That would do me. So I got the benefit. So I don't think he was happy about it. But I definitely got the second, second one. one. Definitely yeah. got the second one. Did you always have that that technique to score goals like that? Was it something you, like as in when you were younger and you were just kicking about with your friends? Um, no, I think it was con- a consequence of at that time I, I was playing well, so I was confident in my play, and I think that's really important. That obviously if you going into big games you want to be confident that you were playing well and I was at that point and the actual situation I think Robin knocked the ball through and the keeper for whatever yeah. reason I think it was Busquets' dad who uh, came in for that game um, he wasn't the the regular goalkeeper uh, he missed out and uh, he was the reserve keeper and he came out and made this decision he was way out of his penalty box and I skipped past him and I'm thinking well it's an empty net Obviously, he pushed me a bit, a little bit wide, and everybody saw even the commentator, oh, Brian yeah. Moore, God bless him, he said, "Oh, he's he's pushed wide, he's too far out." But from my point of view, I just, well, I knew it was just an open goal, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking, well, if I hit this ball towards the net, it's going to go in. But for whatever reason, yeah, but you I didn't, didn't just hit it. Well, exactly. For like, whatever reason, I don't know laces. why I did it. It just <laughs> probably because I, I was confident that, that I could do it. Yeah, and I thought, right, I'm going to smash this. <laughs> And, and thankfully I did because if, if I had just side-footed towards the goal, uh, there was two defenders r- running back and they would have cleared it. So for whatever reason, fate, call it what you like, I made the decision to, to whack it. And mm. thankfully it went in. <laughs> instinct, I guess. Yeah, instinct, fate, whatever it is. What Who knows? was the feeling like following that? You'd won nearly everything domestically. What was it like in terms of the fans and the media to get your hands on the, the league, the Premier League? Yeah, it was huge. It's first year of the Premier League and um, from my point of view, obviously I've been in not great Man United teams. I've been in Man United teams that had struggled and okay, we'd won cups along the way, but we got close a couple of times, but never really taken that huge step of actually winning the league title, which was the aim obviously for, for everybody. But every year that we didn't do it, the harder it, it seemed to become mm-hmm. just because it was always another year yeah. on top of the 20 odd years that it was before so it was 21 years 22 years 23 years and you think well it's never going on and the year obviously that we missed out to Leeds you're thinking goodness me is it ever going to happen and in fairness to Sir Alex he could very easily have ripped that team up and started again and and said to himself well you've had your chance uh, we've got to do it in a different way but thankfully he kept everybody together. He added a little bit of stardust with Eric mm-hmm. and um, 
and we were able to win the title that year, that following year. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a great season. I mean, the night here against Blackburn, were you playing with Blackburn? Didn't you? I was in a car crash the night before, so I missed it. <laughs> I was I was here. That yeah. was the first time. I think it was the first time I've ever been to Old Trafford because yeah. I came as uh, in the Blackburn end, and yeah. it was. I have to say it has to be the best night yeah. ever. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I always remember. I mean, goodness me, we'd been in Bruce's house till about four <laughs> in the morning, so we weren't in great shape, if we're honest. But uh, We had to win that game to, to get into Europe for us. Yeah, that's so right. we were yeah. desperate to win yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So we we turned up here and there was people, I mean, there was hordes and hordes of people outside and everybody was just absolutely... Delighted that we'd finally been able to do. We'd actually done it. Everybody knows the day before, so yeah. this day was that night was just a, a nice celebration from our point of view. The one thing Blackburn did wrong was that they scored, scored first, first. <laughs> so it sobered us all up. And we were like, "Well, hang on a minute. It's, this is our night. It's not their night." So uh, we just put the afterburners on. And uh, going back to the start of that season, when when Eric came in, did you think he was a final? piece to the jigsaw or um, because obviously he's come from Leeds who just won the league as well yeah yeah I think we were a good team clearly yeah. we'd missed out by a very small margin the the year before but Eric came in and I've mentioned Bruno Fernandes coming yeah. into the club straight away he looks like a United player it's, mm -hmm. and I talk about the weight of the shirt it doesn't weigh heavy on him well Eric came in and he, he was made to play for Man United you just sensed that He'd found his stage and this is where he was meant to be. So as soon as he walked through the door, you think, goodness me, he's... I think until you actually worked with him, you didn't realise what a good player he was. Mm. You, you'd admired him from afar when he was at, at Leeds and think, oh, he's got something. But until you saw him week in, week out and on a day-to-day -day basis, you didn't realise what an mm -hmm. exceptional player he was. And he was a big, powerful guy, mm. quicker than he thought as well. For me, it, it helped my game as well because... In those days, invariably, most teams played 4 4 2. It was two strikers. One would come short, one would go long. You'd run the channels and yeah. you'd protect the ball. And I used to play up front with Eric, and all of a sudden he'd start drifting off over to the left wing. And I'd be looking around and think, where the hell's he gone now? <laughs> and he, he used to do it four or five times and again. But what he was doing was just finding space mm -hmm. and in the pockets as we call yeah, it now yeah. but I don't think anybody <laughs> talked about pockets of space in those days but Eric was doing it in those days and uh, he'd just find areas of space and then he'd receive the ball he'd, he'd knock it off and then he'd get it in the box or he'd, he'd play balls into me and I'd retain mm -hmm. him he'd get in the box and, and it just worked great but it made me a better player because I understood what he was doing eventually and I'd look for those little Moments when he dropped deep and then there were certain things I needed to do when he did that. So it made me a better player as a consequence. Maisie said when he came, did it feel like the final piece of the jigsaw? But I suppose Dion Dublin had also come. Was there a part of you that was thinking, there's a few extra centre-forwards around here. Do I need to start thinking about my own future? Yeah, I didn't take exception to that. I always felt um, that was a challenge and a, a club the size of Man United has to be in the market for, for good players. Mm -hmm. and, and if... If good players come to the club, you have to accept the challenge and and make sure you've still got the shirt at the end of it. Uh, for the most part, I was able to do that. When when Coley came, then maybe it was time to leave. Um, but no, I, I always accepted it as a challenge. I had immense pride in playing for Man United and wearing the number 10 
red shirt year was was really special to me because that had come through the ranks as well. So I had a real affinity with the club and and I wasn't going to give up that shirt lightly. And thankfully, I had a good stint as as being the first choice here. Mm-hmm. Um, I left. Well, I, I joined when I was fourteen. About a couple of years when I left, I was here till I was thirty, thirty-one. So uh, I had when a good th- run on it. When you say about your affinity for the club, what was your relationship like with the fans when you were a player? Well, I always, I always used to think I could sense when they thought we needed to get a grip, mm-hmm. uh, or if we were struggling in games, you'd sense it in the crowd. And I used to try and be the the catalyst for that. Uh, I could sense the crowd wanted us to be more aggressive or something to happen, or mm-hmm. somebody put a tackle in to get them going as well. So mm-hmm. I was I always sense the crowd. It was always there. Mm-hmm. I mean, some some players like to to block the cl- crowd out and just play within the, the white lines, whereas I I went over the lines as well, just to sense, get a sense of where the crowd was. And, uh, and I think the, the United fans understood that's what I was doing and I, I was trying to amplify w- what their feelings were on yeah. the pitch. Um, and I always had a, had a great great relationship with the United fans in, in that regard because I just think they, they understood that. Uh, Whenever I play for United, I was always going to give my best. Hundred league goals you hit as well. Did that? Did that feel like something, or was that not something you worried about? Because we've talked about your relationship with scoring goals as a forward. Were you paying attention to it? You were aware it was coming, or just someone told you after and you just carried on? Uh, someone told told me after. I'm not sure when it was. It was Crystal Palace, was it? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was Crystal Palace. I was pleased it was a volley because they all had to be <laughs> volleys. Um, yeah, and I think it was. It was an important game. I think Blackburn had maybe drawn a game or or got beat the same night, and we needed to win just mm. to to keep the we distance. We got beat at Wimbledon. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought that was it. There was there was some significance to it, and we ended up winning at Crystal Palace, and uh, yeah, scored hundredth goal. And I think the only reason I knew it was hundredth goal because I think uh, Michael Edelson, the director, mm-hmm. had snagged the ball. <laughs> I'd, I'd, Acquired the ball from somewhere, and, and he was going to, and he was on the front of the bus. And I said, "Oh, he got the ball from me." He said, "That was my hundredth goal." He says, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to put it in the museum." I thought, well, so I'm not getting it. It's going in the museum. Is it? I don't know if he's saying now, but I'm, I'm not sure. Any but, uh, other time, we could go so, and look. Yeah, I'll have to go check. But, what was uh, your opinion at the time? Were you aware of the youth team, and did you ever go and watch the youngsters when you were in the first oh, team? Yeah. Then, I mean, when you've got a group like Giggsy, mm-hmm. Beck, Scolzy, and and the Neville's coming through. You, mm. you, as a senior player, you have to be aware because you think, if I'm not careful, some mm. of these lads are going to replace me. So uh, there wasn't really an occasion before that group of players came through where you really sensed that you were under threat. Mm-hmm. But that group were, was a special group. Everybody mm. knew it. So sometimes you go for treatment at the cliff and did uh, before a, a game at, uh, in the afternoon and... Uh, the youth teams would be playing and you'd watch them and you think, yeah, they're not bad, these guys. And uh, I always remember Jim McGregor, who was the old physio, and he always was saying, yeah, they're okay. He's not bad on the right wing and uh, that left wing is quite tricky. But he always said, that little ginger guy's the best one. Scolzi in the middle of the park. So 
He might be right. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that time when they came into the changing room, for example, for the first time? Well, to any great extent, obviously Ryan had burst into the, the first team and uh, he was a big part of what we were doing when we were winning the first few Premier League titles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, he was very much part of the, the dressing room. Gary and Phil were oh, a little bit behind that. Mm -hmm. um, he had had a couple of games and... In the League Cup, I think he, I think he scored on his on his debut in the League Cup. So, uh, yeah, you you knew they were there or thereabouts. But when Sir Alex decided to get rid of us, all us old guys and <laughs> put them all into the team on mass, I think that surprised a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But uh, proved to be an absolute masterstroke. Mm -hmm. You talked about. Coley coming in what did it feel like when that happened and your time at the club was over had you had a lot of conversations about it was it a surprise were you excited about it were you sad about it like I said United needed to be in the market for, for good players and the opportunity to bring Andy into the club was was there for him and uh, he'd had a couple of outstanding seasons at Newcastle and uh, the club bought him and uh, I'm thinking hmm right I might not uh, have a future here but lo and behold Bless him, Eric. Jumped into the crowd and, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's the end of him. <laughs> so it might be an opportunity to stay a little bit longer. So uh, so I actually, sat, there was a contract on the table and I actually think, well, I may as well sign it because mm -hmm. uh, Eric's not coming back. He can't come back from that. Uh, so I'm thinking, oh, me, Coley up front. Yeah, it could work. So, <laughs> so uh, we got to about the May, June and all of a sudden, it was announced that Eric was coming back in the September and I'm thinking, well, that's that's going to stop me playing. Mm. And I was never one to, to sit in the stand. I was mm. like a bear with a sore head if I was ever out of the team. So I knew then that I was 30, 31, I think, and I needed to needed to play week in, week out. I mm. still had a couple, more than a few years, I felt, at the top level. So I needed to find a club uh, to play week in, week out, and that club was Chelsea, so I went. I probably felt I'd been allowed to go maybe a year sooner than I should have been. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I felt any resentment about that, but uh, uh, apparently uh, I had been sold to Everton uh, before that because uh, I actually got injured at Newcastle. I scored a goal and the keeper yeah, yeah. rushed Remember. out and I sliced my knee. And I was out for a few weeks, but apparently the following week I was supposed to be going to Everton because obviously they'd, they'd replace me with Corley. But uh, I wasn't to know that. <laughs> Only found out about two years later that that deal was done. But um, that's how it was. But uh, Was it hard leaving United then for Chelsea? Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because um, like I said, I still felt I could do a job for, for United. But the reality was I wasn't going to play week in, week mm. out. So uh, I remember telling my... My little lad, um, Alex, who he would have been, he would have been six or seven, I think, by then. Um, that I was leaving United, and uh, he started crying, bless him, and I'm thinking, oh goodness me, I didn't realise that he, he understood I yeah. played for United. Um, so that touched me and my wife when we we told him, and uh, ever since that, I don't think he ever supported any of the teams that I he played for, with, because yeah. he always used to say. Uh, I don't support anybody. I just support my dad. So I think it was just a consequence yeah, again, yeah. too close to United, I think. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, he didn't make that mistake again. Did you have conversations with Sir Alex before you left? 
No, didn't say anything to me. <laughs> um, no, it's just a. I think everybody knew. So he knew, I knew. When the deal was presented to to United, they accepted it. So I, I'm thinking, well, if they wanted me to stay, they would have done yeah. somewhere about it, would have stopped the deal. So I took that as the message: your time's up, and and that was it. He did write me a really nice letter about two months after I'd left, uh, which I've still got, so I appreciated that. But uh, um, my relationship with Sir Alex in those days wasn't that close. It was like the relationship I needed of all my managers. I just needed them to pick me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they picked me, I was happy. I didn't need to mm. go into their manager's office, having a cup of coffee with, with him and have a chit-chat like some of the lads did. I, I never did that. I didn't need that. Can you tell us what was in the letter? No. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not doing my job if I don't ask. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's just nice things and uh, an appreciation of my time here and, and what I'd done for the club. So, uh, yeah, it was appreciated at the time, still is. So at Chelsea, you won your fourth FA Cup, which must have been special. Yeah, I had a good ch- time at Chelsea. I, I enjoyed it. I had three, three years there. And Who took you there? Uh, Glenn Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle. Um, who at that time was, uh, I think he was the last... British manager to to manage Chelsea until Frank Lampard got the job. Right, I think from that point onwards they just went for him. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I went there and I, I had a good time. I enjoyed it. It was um, like it wasn't the Chelsea that we know now. Clearly, um, it was prior to the uh, the influx of the the new ownership and uh, but they were still having to go and it was just the start of uh, bringing in players from from Europe. Um, the day. Day I signed, I was actually on holiday in Florida, and um, I'd signed for them by t- by fax, believe it or not, from the Dolphin Hotel, Florida, Disney World. I always remember it. Do you guys know what a fax machine is? <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank dear, you. Dear. Yeah. Thank right. you for that. Yeah, just just checking. Yeah. We're only born in the eighties. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so they had a big uh, big announcement that uh, they had new signings, and they presented. In London, uh, they presented Rude Hullet on the t- top table, and I think they forgot they got so giddy about Rude Hullet joining that I think they forgot that uh, that they signed me as well. So just as they were wrapping everything up, and they said, "Oh, by the way, we've we've signed back years as well." Here's the facts. So uh, so that was uh, unusual. But um, I went there and I went to do the shows how the clubs changed because uh, I went to do all the the pictures of the. Standing at the stand with the, with the scarf in, in my hands over my head, and uh, you had to make sure that you were in the right position because the main stand was rusting and falling to bits, if you remember it. Across the way was like this pavilion with little bench wooden seats, and to the left side goal was a, a big hole where they were digging out for a car park, so the, <laughs> the crowd was a state. So they had this brand new stand behind. The one goal, so they said, well, you got to point that way because the rest of the ground's a tip. <laughs> so, uh, so I had to have all my pictures taken that way. But, but we had a good, good group of players there actually. You get good characters, uh, good young players as well. Dennis Wise was there. Uh, Rudolph obviously came, was a big influence, and it was the start of Gianfranco Zola going to the club. Luca Viali, some players, I know. Yeah, Robbie Di Matteo. So uh, it was an exciting time. Really, really mm-hmm. good team. Good club at the time. I mean, those are four huge clubs that you've played for at this point. 
And then uh, what came next? I didn't say that to, to discredit Southampton, but what came next is Southampton. And then you started moving back into midfield where you'd started your career. Was that your idea? Was it management's idea? Uh, it was a your legs idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my body gave it up on me, I think. Um, well, I'd, I'd always... I'd always played uh, in midfield right throughout that time. For, for the most part, I'd always played in midfield just because we had lots of... We had Rushy, we had Dean Saunders, uh, Craig Bellamy had come through. So I started playing in deep positions for Wales. So I think uh, my club managers looked at my performances for Wales and think, oh, out of push, he could do a job for us in midfield as well. So... Uh, so I ended up slipping back, and uh, by the time I got to, to Everton and Blackburn, I was just viewed as a midfield player. They didn't trust me up front anymore. <laughs> so you went right down to the south, further back north, and then eventually you hung up your boots. Was that a difficult decision for you to do? Um, not really. Um, my last year at Blackburn, I did two good seasons at, at Blackburn, got promotion from mm-hmm from the championship got back up to the Premier League which was was big and then the second season we actually won the League Cup uh, to the Millennium Stadium that actually was my my last 90 minutes in a football shirt so uh, to do it on the Millennium Stadium was special for me because clearly as a a Welshman I'd never played obviously I was Welsh team manager then as well and uh, I'd made the decision that I was never going to do both I was either football player for my clubs mm-hmm. and the Welsh manager for, for the national team so I never mixed it I didn't think I was able to do it so uh, I separated them both so I never got the opportunity uh, I'd send my team out on the Millennium Stadium we were getting 70,000 in those days um, I don't think I'd love to be out there yeah. but, I, but I can't justify picking myself so I ne- I'd never got the opportunity to play on the on the pitch so uh, I wasn't down to play uh, in the League Cup final but we had a lot of Injuries in midfield, I think we had four or five injuries. So uh, as a last resort, I think Dino, Dean Saunders, who was at Blackburn at the same time, actually said to Graham Soonis, well, you do know Mark Hughes can play in midfield, don't you? And he said, can he? <laughs> <laughs> so as a consequence of that, he threw me Cheers, in. Dino. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we beat Tottenham. Was it weird being a player for Blackburn and part-time manager of your nation it, it feels that feels like a genuine throwback I can't imagine Wales or like any European team having a having a part-time manager well it was it was full-time in as much as that that's what the role was but really yeah. an international management job is is part-time if, if yeah, you're honest I mean. yeah clearly when you, you're out of the game as a manager and you're not playing you, you can go to games mm. and watch games and I, I had the benefit of actually still playing and, and playing against some of the players I was considering for selection. So uh, I was even closer to the, to the action. So uh, it was different. I don't recommend it. It was really, really difficult because to turn from a player's mindset to a manager's mm-hmm. mindset was really difficult. And, and I was, it was my first job in management. And the reality was I didn't really know what I was doing, if, if I'm honest. Uh, I had good staff around me who, who protected me to a certain extent because I was still thinking I was... I was thinking as a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first first day of training, I'm I'm getting myself ready for training, putting my socks on, and only just got out of bed. And then there's a knock on my door, and and the staff are all there, there outside. Say, right, boss, what we're we doing today? <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm going to fog you. What we're going to do? <laughs> I was just going to go out just and put my boots on. <laughs> so, so it was a real steep learning curve for me, and I was really grateful for it, if I'm honest, because um, international football, obviously, you, you have. 
a really condensed period where it's you're totally thinking about the game uh, for a period of seven, ten days, whatever it was. And then you have the game and then everybody dissipates mm. and goes back to the club and you've got a window of opportunity which you need to take where you say to yourself, well, goodness me, I was hopeless there. I need to be a hell of a lot better next time they all come together. So I had four years of that thinking, well, I can do that better next time. So I had four years of thinking how I wanted my teams to play, what philosophy I actually had as a manager. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's always a danger when you go from playing straight into management. You, you haven't actually mm. understood what mm. you believe in. You, you know your role, you, you know your position and how that relates to people, but you don't really know what you believe in in terms of how a team that represents you should Mark play. Mark team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had four years to get the benefit of that. So mm -hmm. when I went to Blackburn and got the Blackburn job. I had that philosophy. I knew which direction I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. and, and, then, and I knew on the first day that I was the manager. I wasn't a player trying mm. to be a manager. Over the years, was it always the ambition to be a manager? And which managers that you had did you take inspiration from? Or did you just want to simply be your own manager? Um, I'd, I didn't have any real plan in terms of wanting to be a manager. Um, I don't think a lot of people felt I was ever going to be one, but just because I wasn't the loudest voice in the in the dress room, I had a voice, but uh, I allowed the the ones that had a bigger voice than me just to say more often not what I was going to say anyway. So it wasn't as if I was front of house. I, I wasn't the driving force mm -hmm. of the teams I was involved in, but I sensed when I went to Chelsea that um, actually you can have an influence on, on your group. And the young players, the likes of Jody Morris and Michael Dubry, were just coming through into that team. And I always noticed when, when I did say something, they would hang on my every word because they, cause you, sometimes you forget you're standing in the game. Like, obviously, mm. I won trophies and yeah. played abroad. And whenever I told the story about what I'd done, it used to go quiet just because Chelsea and those had never experienced anything like that. So I was conscious that actually you can impact players and make make them think about the game. And, and that's when I started doing my coaching badges and, and getting a real feeling, thought, well, maybe this is something I could go into. But I actually got the Welsh job by default. We actually had a double header against Italy and Denmark and uh, we got thumped 4-0 by Italy in the first game. And Bobby Gould, bless him, decided he was going to resign there and then. And he recommended myself and Neville to be the management group of uh, for the game on the Wednesday against Denmark. And uh, up to that point, I hadn't really thought about being a manager. <laughs> so I had to <laughs> very quickly try and get into the mindset of being a manager. So me and Nev tried to come up with a game plan. And uh, I actually played in the game. Nev was on the sidelines in a black suit. The first time I'd ever seen Big Nev himself all in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I kept on looking over and thinking, oh, there's Neville in the suit. <laughs> I think it distracted me in the game. But we got beat. And, and after that, uh, the Welsh FA made it known that they were going to do interviews for the job. And I was actually on holiday. And when I heard, and uh, I rang him up and said, make sure that I'm, I'm getting an interview. So I had an interview for the job. I think they thought I was the cheap option because I was still playing. So I wasn't doing it for the money. Um, mm -hmm. I'd... I just had a, a desire to do it and see see what it was all about. And they gave me the job for two games. Won the first game. 
lost the second one, but uh, must have showed enough in those two games mm-hmm. to to make them think that uh, I could do the job. Mm-hmm. So I did it, got the job, and did it for four years. And there must have been some wonderful memories in that. Yeah, yeah, we had some some great performances, great results. Um, got close to qualification for European Championship, missed out on the playoff, uh, beat Italy. How frustrating is that? Yeah, we, to get that, so close. Well, I got there well. so close as a, as a player as well, yeah. Maisie. You know, we we had a couple of occasions where we were into playoff games, and we'd always uh, have, we'd be one game away from yeah. qualifying for World Cups and European Cups, and that. It was always a case that Welsh teams were. We'd always had good players right through mm. all the generations, but we just we were always, unfortunately, the strongest, our weakest link, and we were always getting lads from two, three levels below, and yeah. and. It, it's not a consequence of that, but it was one of the factors that we we'd we go through a qualification period and we'd lose key guys to injuries, and the ones that were stepping up weren't yeah. of the same level. So we'd always miss out. So I wanted experience, obviously a, a main tournament as as a manager because I'd never done it as a player. But uh, unfortunately, we missed out. But um, we faced everybody. I, I liked. It wasn't about me trying to shape my my own CV about making sure my win percentage was high. I just felt we, we needed to face the best teams in the world mm. to make us better. So we, we had games against Argentina, Brazil we played, we played West Germany, as I said, Italy in the championship games, we, we faced everybody um, and we did okay. Um, so I think that's what probably built my reputation as a manager just because we'd gone up against these big teams and done okay. Mm-hmm. Was it tough to go to, to to leave the job and take the job at Blackburn? I guess one because it's your country and everything you're mm. striving to achieve in terms of international tournament qualification, and then obviously at Blackburn it's day to day running of a football club as opposed to as you said about international. Yeah, football. no, I got to the point where I was ready for the day to day stuff. Um, I'd got to the point where I I was getting frustrated that after games when there were certain things in the, in the performance I, I hadn't liked or. I wanted us to improve on then I wasn't getting our opportunity to to review games yeah. and go through things that that had happened in games I'd have to wait a month and then maybe that moment's passed and you had to concentrate on the game that you had ahead of you so uh, I wanted that day-to-day involvement because the fact I wasn't able to to review games as as much as I wanted was uh, was gnawing away at me it was it was something that I wasn't comfortable with so uh when the opportunity to go to Blackburn, who were a great, great setup, uh, Maisie, you know, yeah. uh, the facilities there, they were Brilliant. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and John Williams there, good, great chairman, one of the best chairmen that I've worked with. He helped me a great deal. So I had a real good time there. It was a good club, good facilities, everything was in place. I mean, goodness me, the, the end long in the past won, won the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything, it, it was actually a, really high standard Premier League setup there and the success there obviously attracted the attention of other clubs and Manchester City came calling mm. who at the time were they now was it Thaxton Sinatra was he yeah. in charge at that point so it was before the Abu Dhabi group that mm-hmm. owned them now had invested but so still they were improving and, and a lot of money had been spent was that a difficult decision to make because were you aware of that it could affect your relationship here um, it wasn't something that I'd, I took into account only because I viewed myself 
not as an ex-Man United player there. I used, yeah. uh, I viewed myself as a professional football manager. Um, and I knew that I was going to leave Blackburn and I needed to, to leave where my star was quite high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we just, we'd got top six position by virtue of the league. Uh, we qualified for Europe. We'd got to the FA Cup semi-finals and, and I'd had a good four years there and I felt right, now's the time. Um, but if I was going to make the next step, there wasn't too many options where I felt mm. would be better than Blackburn. And if you looked at it at the time, obviously Sir Alex wasn't going anywhere. Arsene Wenger wasn't going anywhere. Chelsea weren't employing British managers. Arsenal, um, I've said Arsenal, yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. I wasn't going to Liverpool. <laughs> so all the top clubs were all taken for the foreseeable future. And I just looked at Man City and I thought, well, it's a good stadium, good crowd base, lots lots of fans, a big big platform. I'm thinking, okay, I'll go there. It didn't really cross my mind that it might upset United fans. It didn't sway my decision because I just thought that it was the next step in mm. my in my managerial career. Um, problem was when I got there, it was actually a club that was at lower level than the one I had left. Blackburn was way above in terms of facilities and and mentality of the club and, and the professionalism of the club at that time. And I wasn't to know that until I walked through the door, if I'm honest. So, um, yeah, and Genoata Rose was in charge and I went there with the prom- promise that we were going to have a real go and spend a lot of money on players. And, and the reality wasn't, wasn't that. He actually had no money because it was all frozen in, <laughs> in Thailand. So I, I had to sell some of my better players, I think if you remember Carl Luca who used to mm-hmm. who went to Tottenham, we had to sell him to Tottenham. I think we sold him for ten million. And I had to find a a fullback for five million because that's all they would allow me because they needed to pay some bills. So uh, I ended up getting Zabaletta, which wasn't a bad deal. Yeah. <laughs> um so that's how it was. So it, it wasn't really the description of the club given to me wasn't really what what it said on the tin. And then of course they were taken over again. At that point, did you think, oh, this is great because now I will get some money or did they make it clear that probably they were going to want to change everything, including management? No, they didn't make that clear because they would never make that clear. But <laughs> but I knew that at some point they would change the manager because I wasn't yeah. their guy. So they were always going to make make a change at some point. I actually look back on my time and think, actually, I did well to last as long as I did. Uh, by all accounts, uh, I was sacked about three times. <laughs> uh, but every time Cal Doon used to fly over to sack me, we'd we'd win. Uh, <laughs> I think he flew over twice. I think we, we were playing Chelsea on one occasion and we, uh, and we played Arsenal on another. And I think the assumption was that we were going to get pumped yeah. and we were going to get beat. So good opportunity to get rid of him. Um, but we won both games. And so he had to get back on his plane and fly back, back to wherever he was coming from. So that happened on two occasions. Finally, uh, the weekend before I was sacked, uh, we went down to Tottenham. We got beat 2-0, I think. Didn't play particularly well. So they jumped on that and mm-hmm. said, right, that's this is our opportunity. And irrespective of the fact we won at the weekend against Sunderland, I think it was, they sacked me on the spot. So... But it was only a matter of time. I had, I think, about 18 months, I think. Mm-hmm. Which uh, was What was it like coming back here to be a manager? 
for City against United? The, I always viewed it as, uh, I think United fans maybe thought I had something against United or, or somebody, something against Sir Alex. Mm. wasn't the case, no. not at all. It was just that I viewed United as the best club, best fans, best manager, everything was the best here. Mm-hmm. And if, if I wanted to be a better manager, I had to judge myself against the best. the best. So whenever I went up against United, I was desperate to beat them mm. because they were the best in my view in terms of resources and, and facilities and, and how they went about the business because I knew at first hand how, how good they were. So I always felt, well, if my team is going to get anywhere near to where they, I want them to go to, yeah. Not necessarily. I brought teams here with Blackburn, Southampton, whatever. All the teams I brought here, I always wanted to beat United, just because I viewed them as the best and with the best manager, and that's why I always used to look upset and maybe didn't acknowledge <laughs> United fans when I was trying to. I mean, they used to used to play the game United fans in fairness they always used to sing my name and yeah. try and get me to wave to them and I never would just because out of respect <laughs> yeah. to my employees if I'm honest but I was desperate to yeah let's put it on record but uh, I wasn't allowed to unfortunately I've always wondered that whenever managers don't wave I'm thinking are they just so focused they're not hearing that but it must take a lot to ignore yeah because your get, instant reaction is well looking back it's I used, to, just, difficult I used to just get to, to, to the tunnel and I, I used to see a few around the tunnel and I used to wave to one in particular. I'd, I'd pick one out and go, hey. And then I think I'd, you know, spread it around to everybody else. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it was difficult at times, but uh, it, it was never, I think more people had a problem with it than possibly I did. Mm-hmm. Um, did it ever affect your personal life, your family no. life? No. Well, in, in as much as what the, the pressure of, just your children, or, going to school, did things like that ever affect um, them? It probably did, but not to an extent that it, it impacted on them yeah. negatively. Clearly, Just a little bit of playground yeah, abuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> normal <laughs> stuff, you know. There is, uh, there is one game we have to talk about mm. of you coming back here, which is the Derby in 9 10 mm. Michael Owen scoring the winner after seven minutes when there were six minutes of extra time. There was four minutes of <laughs> what? What <laughs> was that? Time. <laughs> yeah. What was that like for you as a manager here? Because presumably, from your side, it was very frustrating. Oh yeah, I mean, he, Bellamy scored, didn't he? Right, right, right the about 90th minute to make it three all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a great game. I it was one of the better derbies, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, superb. Clearly, I mean, it was so much drama in it, and Craig, you mentioned it. I think. Rio had made Dunn a mistake yeah, yeah. near the halfway yeah. line and, and Craig had carried the ball all the way and slipped it under the, the keeper at this end and um, you're thinking that's a game over, we'll take a point and all's fair and love and war and yeah. we could shake hands at the end and it was fine. And then Mr Atkinson, Martin Atkinson, bless him, decided just to forget to look at his watch. Rightly so. <laughs> and he kept on thinking, well, you've got to blow, blow the whistle any, any second now. It's all over. He, mm. he put four up and I think, well, we're into seven minutes here. What's he doing? And then, <laughs> lo and behold, uh, was it Giggsy? I think Giggsy might have played. Uh, yeah, he played, played, played Michael Owen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you see Michael Owen in that position, you think he's going to score because that's what he's done all his career. So to actually lose that game when, in my view, the game was over and, yeah. and we'd done okay and we, we got a point and 
that was massive for me just because like I said I wanted to go up against Sir Alex and if I could beat him if not the next best thing was just to, to nick a draw at Old Trafford but uh, unfortunately Mr Atkinson took that uh, <laughs> took that away from me but um, yeah they were, they were great games so I enjoyed whenever I came to Old Trafford and even as a player I came as a player as uh, when I was at Chelsea and uh, always enjoyed. What was the conversation like after the game, after that game at the gaffer? Because obviously, you know, steam's coming out of your ears. You've seen Nev run past you celebrating and stuff. <laughs> Stay for a glass of wine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest, I can't remember. Did go into the room. I always, yeah, always yeah, went yeah. into the room to see the gaffer and uh, I think at that point, so you, you probably calmed down um, and you just... You end up being a little bit philosophical mm. where you think yeah, it is where it is this yeah. game's bonkers because you've been on the other end of it as well yeah, yeah. Chef yes. Wednesday yeah exactly right yeah. so uh, you just have to accept it it uh, doesn't make any sense at the no. time when it's happening you think well you don't de- to deserve Deserve that moment but um, but it's you shrug your shoulders get on with the next yeah. one when the, when the final whistle goes there's a camera right in your face were you aware of that? not to any great extent I think that, that was the reality of of the game at that time and uh, you're always going to get manager cam in your face and uh, if there's an incident or if they think you're perturbed as I certainly <laughs> was to, to put it mildly um, then they want reactions it's good drama that's what TV wants they want drama and reaction and an incident and yep. uh, just losing a point at Old Trafford under those circumstances obviously they, they were awful again the reaction um, probably a negative one from my point of view but uh, <laughs> yeah you're, you're aware of the cameras but that's part and parcel of, of the game these days We won't keep you too much longer because we do realise that it's been quite a long time for you but I just want to ask about your other managerial roles how much did you, did you enjoy those? Yeah I've uh, I've really enjoyed uh, being a manager I mean the negatives are obviously are losing and losing your job unfortunately uh, for the most part uh, I was able to to keep losing my job away from myself. Uh, I think it was, I worked it out the other day, I think it was about nine years before I got sacked. So that's not a bad run from mm. going from Wales to to the first time I was yeah. I was sacked, which was at City. So uh, that's not a bad... That might uh, be a record. <laughs> it might well be. So you want longevity in the game. So I was... I was quite proud of that. Unfortunately, after that point, they started to come on quite a regular basis. But in saying that, I had four good years at Stoke and four and a half years. And um, it's difficult when when you've got clubs that are not quite at the level of the top clubs. So there's always going to be games where you're not at the level to mm-hmm. be able to compete. So that was always a frustration. But we did the best with what we had and, uh, and we... We had some big results. We beat United along the way. We we beat everybody, if if I'm honest. We yeah. beat Chelsea. We beat Liverpool six one on one occasion. So that that was a highlight. So um, yeah, good times there. Uh, got to semi finals, lost to Liverpool. Uh, went to Anfield. Actually beat them at Anfield, which was the first time a Stoke team had done it for forty odd years. So so we had some moments, but uh, invariably when you lose your job, uh, it, you lose it because. The team's not functioning, and the and the results aren't going for you. So uh, that was a shame. But I, I had the opportunity to jump back into into the game after about four or five weeks, I think it was, and got the Southampton position initially just for eight games because they needed something to happen because they were 
they again relegated because they couldn't see where the next result was coming from. So I did games to try and keep them up and we were able to do that. On the back of that, they, they gave me a three-year deal and I think I lasted about 10 games, probably six <laughs> before <laughs> all the rumours started. So uh, that was a disappointment and that's been my last role. But uh, Just talking about your, your, your time, time going to Liverpool, beating them 6-1. What was it like as a player going there for United? Well, th- that was the big rivalry. I mean, Man City you wasn't look at yourself, it? you look at yeah. Norman, Remy, yeah. Robbo. Yeah, I mean, Man- in those days, Man City wasn't the big game. No. It was the derby, yeah, okay. Yeah. But they they were bouncing between the leagues in, in those days. But going to Liverpool, that was the game. Because Liverpool were the, yeah, the, the best, the, the best yeah. team. Uh, were the best club, in my view. United were always mm-hmm. the best club, but... Uh, you, you, Liverpool were. What did, the, why, did, why did you think that was that United were so successful against Liverpool? I don't yet, know. I, I yeah, we couldn't. Yeah, it, it was when it, it was maybe it was a bigger game for us than it was for them. Maybe I don't yeah. know. They, they were they were banging out European cups and and league titles season on season. Yeah. Uh, whereas we go up against Liverpool, saying right, we've got to win this one. And maybe I'm sure they'll argue now. It meant as, just as much to them, but course, I don't think yeah. it did. You know, mm. just because we. We we always wanted to beat them. Um, mm. Probably my one regret in terms of my goal scoring throughout my career was that I never got to score in the, the cop. cop end. I'd scored the other end, which was all right. Yeah. I didn't mind doing that, but the fact I missed out not scoring out of the cop, I would have loved that. Everybody wants that John O'Shea moment, don't they? Yeah. Right at the end, <laughs> smashing in a winner at the cop. Exactly. You exactly. said at the start of this conversation you've had time over lockdown to reflect. When you reflect on your career... Is it being a manager or being a player? What's the most enjoyable and what's the most, most difficult? Oh, no question. Being a player is the best. Mm. Yeah, Management's great uh, because you're, you're involved in the game at a really close level and um, it's actually more intense. Sometimes uh, the success that you have is is better just because you, you've moulded a group and mm-hmm. you've had to influence more than just yourself to, to, to get a good performance and get a good result. So you... From a professional point of view, sometimes you, you get more satisfaction, but it doesn't last as long. Mm. Mm. But the actual process of putting on a shirt and going out and playing football, that's that's the best. That best. doesn't that nothing ever beats that. You get the same emotion as as being a player, as a manager, somebody scoring a last minute goal, you get that same mm-hmm. emotion as a player would. But I know for a fact if I scored a last minute goal in a United shirt, I'd be living off that until the next game. Whereas a manager you get that flush of emotion and then all of a sudden you think, right, we won that game. I've got to think next about the game, game yeah. ne- uh, next week. And that process starts mm-hmm. almost immediately. So you don't get the enjoyment of enjoying the wins and enjoying the big moments because you've got to go your, mi- your mentality and your, your mindset onto the next game. Obviously, you've got your duties as president of the, the newly formed Robon team. Yeah. But are you, do you still want to manage in football? Yeah, that's my intention. I, I don't see myself as retired. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not football's retired me. <laughs> that might be the case, I don't know. But uh, I've still got the energy. I still feel I'm a young man in terms of managerial experience. I've got a lot of experience. I've got something like at the top level, probably as a player and a manager, I think I've probably got more than anybody mm-hmm. uh, in the country. So uh, if somebody wants experience at the moment, it looks like... Uh, Clubs are going for your up-and-coming coaches that apparently have got all the new ideas, all the new ideas that I was using probably 10, 15 years ago, but there you go. <laughs> um, 
But no, I still feel there's another job out there. If I do get a role, I'll know very, very quickly if if I've still got the energy to do and I'd be honest with myself and and with whoever was employing me because uh, I'd know very quickly if if I was done or not. But uh, I don't think that would be the case. Uh, so, yeah, I'm available. <laughs> got any contacts? <laughs> we can't even get hold of Johnny Evans for this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, well. <laughs> um, away from football, you've got an MBE and an OBE. Were those proud moments? Yeah, really, really surprising. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I got my first one while I was at Chelsea, and that was for obviously my services to football in general. Mm-hmm. So that was a really proud moment for me and my family. And um, I was able to go to the Palace, got it off the Queen. My OBE was f- for services to Welsh football. That was after I'd been the Welsh manager, obviously getting close to qualifying. So uh, as compensation, they gave me an OB. I was supposed to get her off Prince Charles, actually, but uh, I think some head of state died the day before. So we had to fly off and represent the Queen. So Princess Anne gave me my OB, which was fine. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was okay with. So, uh, <laughs> Mate, he's delighted with that news. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'd much rather get a Princess Anne than Prince <laughs> No, but Charles. it makes sense, the Prince of Wales, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, but yeah, so that's a um, couple of good days around the around the palace so that was that was important for around me. the palace yeah, yeah. You know, as you do so that was <laughs> nice for my mum she she got to go and my kids as well well two of them uh, my daughter had to stay in the car because they only allowed two. Oh no two she had to three stay guests. in the car yeah, that's crazy so you all went down as a family and these yeah so you park, you park up in, in the courtyard you, you've all seen the courtyard yeah. on the crown and mm-hmm. so you park up there and then you're allowed three so uh, how did you how did you come to that decision or is that well my daughter was about that big oh, one, so she, she stayed in the car with the yeah. mother-in-law so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. easy enough decision yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she plays hockey for Wales right yeah yeah she's yeah she does uh, she's actually desperate she's got 99 caps and she's had 99 caps for a year and a half because of lockdown oh. they haven't played oh, so, no. so she, she she anticipated that uh, she would have got it by now and I think once she gets 100, she might think of mm. retiring. But uh, she's she had a great time with it. She's had a couple of Commonwealth games, so she's enjoyed that experience. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed watching her. I actually like the game of hockey. It's it's a crazy game. Mm. I too quick, I too not, violent. I could not imagine. What? It's too quick and too violent. It's, it's an unbelievable game. Is it violent now? I was just going to say, that's the last thing I'd want to see you with a hockey stick. No, exactly. exactly. I, yeah. I, I wince every time I watch you play because I think it's a crazy game, but it's it's a really, really energetic and and really forceful game. It's uh, really interesting. The, the way they move the ball around, around the pitches. Yeah. I think Louis van Gaal used to like like hockey. I think he's big in Holland, isn't it? So mm. uh, he was always an advocate of hockey. So I can understand why he was. It's a really interesting game. Are there many Welsh families with that sporting pedigree? I'm sure there is. My uh, my my daughter doesn't thank me because she uh, she inherited my genes, so she's she's got big, strong, muscular legs, which is perfect for hockey, but yeah. maybe not for stilettos. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We always ask our guests, though, if they have a recommendation for. Our our next podcast, is there anybody you would recommend an ex-teammate, maybe? That's an interesting one. We have had Mickey, so. All right. Um, <laughs> and Ryan Giggs, if we're going down the Welsh route. Yeah. Uh, no one off the top of my head. I, I think anybody who's got a backstory, who's had a, 
the period at this club, we will always have a story to mm-hmm. tell because it's a special place and and anybody who's won the, the Red Shirt of Man United is, is a very fortunate guy and uh, and it's it's always been a big part of my life and it's, it's something I always look back with, with fond memories and thankfully during my time we, we were able to win trophies and uh, have those memories always there for people maybe. And uh, if you've only been just a small part of the, the history of United, it's, it's something that you'll always remember. Mm-hmm. So thank Perfect. you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Pleasure. They're Pleasure. not usually that long, Pleasure. to be fair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> usually we yeah. stop after it's the playing cool. career, but there was so much more. Yeah, it was because I'm old. <laughs> so there it is. Leslie Mark Hughes. What a fantastic guest. And also, I loved his recommendation. Anyone that has worn the red shirt has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's got to be our ambition now. I, if you've I worn think it. that should be our... Motto. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the word I was looking yeah. for. Let's get matching tattoos. No, Sam. No. <laughs> you always go one step too far. That is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. It's just That's an ridiculous. idea. Ridiculous. <laughs> what would the tattoo consist of? Just the just motto. That, 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 just, just the motto. That phrase, picture of Mark Hughes. Quite a lot of words. All right. You don't have to get the tattoo tasker. Uh, I thought not only was he a brilliant podcast guest, but certainly for me and maybe other people that have listened, it's really not changed my perception of him because I didn't have a huge perception of him if I'm completely honest but like he's a United fan I think like and you listen to him talk about it he's really affectionate about the club mm. and I have much stronger feelings towards him now than I had before he's a Manchester United legend yeah absolutely you ask any, any of the old brigade of Manchester United fans they would all love Sparky what he did for the club, the way he played, what he meant to play for the badge. But I think it's impossible. He said Very he didn't good. think about it, which I understand because he was doing his job and he was a manager and he said he, you know, he didn't view himself as former Manchester United player. He's a football manager. So he took the job at City. But it's undeniable that that would affect his relationship and his view with fans, certainly of a, a certain age group. So like, I didn't see him play football. I just know that he did. And then he was manager of City. So, but, but you'll hear him talk about the club and you think, what a great guy. I really liked him. Manchester United does that to you, though, Absolutely. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Through and through. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Any favourite stories from that podcast, Maisie? What about the uh, the two games in a day? That yeah. was so cool. Really good. We didn't even really get on to his Wales career. We didn't actually ask him about playing for Wales. Has anyone seen the goal he was talking about? This Wales That possibly one? could have took him to Barcelona. It is a phenomenal goal. I would put that in a percentage of, there's probably only five out of 100 players could do that. Incredible strike. It's so acrobatic. Incredible. Like he's twisting his body in all sorts of fashion. But you used to do that day in, day out, training. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes on about his, you know, his build-up play and all that sort of stuff, holding the ball up. But some of the goals he scores, the volleys, mm-hmm. wow, incredible. Mm-hmm. Just struck a ball so clean. Yeah. And anybody who is listening will have to go back and watch that pass. Yes. That he references. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the FA Cup. Yeah. Yeah. And watch yeah. that pass. Also, if you're listening and you and run also, a football club, also the he wants pass one. of yeah. the Nottingham Forest mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Mark Robbins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two very, very similar and that, passes. that time you passed to Cantona. Oh, yeah, don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. Don't stick forget that. that one in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. Mark Hughes, what a brilliant really, podcast really, guest. I think people are really going to enjoy that yeah. one. Absolutely love it. That will be in the top Three or four of You always make these claims. Mm-hmm. I know, I'm And then we you. ask you who's above and you don't commit. Well, no, because there's so many that are not as good as this one. And also his timekeeping, which you mentioned before. His timekeeping was impeccable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was actually here early. To be fair, also, he said that 
He's a changed man. I think in the in the conversation with him, I think you used your expression that you used at the beginning, the wrong way around. I think you said that he was the f- the first in, last out. Whereas what you're saying is he was last, last in, in, first, first out. out. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Who was first in, last out? Just yeah. for curiosity. Who'd be first in? Probably Gaz. Mm. Yeah, probably. Seems, seems like the yeah. They'd be in there earlier. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're early risers, aren't they? Yeah. Shall we have a look at something else? Let's do it. Adam Carney says, to all three of you and your funny and wonderful producer... Hmm. Mm. Task is you have been one. the music in my ears. I think that's through. the first time Task has been been uh, referenced in email. He's now actually like writing his own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to get a mention. I think I'm going to enjoy the rest of this email. Mm-hmm. No matter how many technical problems you have faced, <laughs> all of our own making, you have delivered one great podcast after another. Really enjoyed the podcast with my favourite player of all time, Dennis Irwin. Great, that's the one I wasn't there for. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Really insightful. <laughs> Maisie, your laugh always creases me up. You do have oh, a good yeah. laugh. Have fun, guys, and live beautifully. Thank you, Adam. That's Adam, so nice, Dad. That's very right. nice. Thank you. Uh, I've got one from Hansel D'Souza who says, Hello, my name is Hansel and I'm from India. I've been a Manchester United fan for all that I can remember. I've listened to each and every United podcast so far and loved each and every one of them. I'd love to see a podcast with our very own club legend, Jisung Park, a.k.a. Three Lung Park. We'd I all love that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, another one from Darren. I just wanted to say thank you for the work you do in recording these podcasts. They are more than just entertainment and an interesting way to while away 90 minutes. There are a recording of memories and moments that are now on file for generations to come. Something we were never able to get from the likes of George Best, Duncan Edwards and so many others that came before. I've been hooked since first finding the podcast at around episode 15, along with the usual suggestion of Mr. Keane. I think it might be nice to hear from someone like Tony Sinclair about his time curating the best pitch in the country. Please keep up the great work. Thank you very much indeed, Darren. That was a really nice email and funny you should say that because we are actually sitting in front of the pitch watching them. Yeah, the groundsmen are at it, aren't they? The groundsmen are at it. Tony's not there though. Do you know what? It's really a work of art, what they're doing. They're making squares. Thank you very much for all of your messages, as always, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this chat with Mark Hughes. We certainly did. Um, We'll see you on the next one, but if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can leave us a review, uh, or you can send us an email. The address is in the show notes. It's unitedpodcast.mayunited.co.uk. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Look after yourselves. Bye. See ya. Bye.